0: Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Hello, my name is Mahesh thakur I am the head of product with prior experience working at Amazon, Microsoft, Intuit, and Intel. I'm so excited to be connecting with you all here today. I wanted to touch on the key attributes that great CEOs and product leaders have. Now, interestingly enough, these three attributes are important for both the chief executive officer and for great product leaders. And we also have many of the great product leaders who eventually become CEOs. Take the example of Ryan Roslansky. He is a CEO at LinkedIn who has had a phenomenal background as a product leader at LinkedIn and and in his prior work. If you look at his impressive background, you can see how he has built those skills over a period of time in the product industry, and then he's taken those um, into his new role as a CEO. Here are the three attributes that are very important for you to have as a CEO and as a product leader. You have to have a vision. That's number one. Number two, you have to always start with the customer. And number three, you have to be absolutely data-driven. So let's dive into each of these and, and see how Um, these actually matter, and what are the details underneath each of them. Let's start with the first one, having a big, bold vision. Why is a big, bold vision important? The vision has to be inclusive to begin with. You have to look at all the aspects of the ecosystem you're creating, which means you don't necessarily have to just think about the customer or the product or a given use case or just a problem. Of course, when you have those things, you have to step back and look at the ecosystem as a whole. Let's take, about, let's take an example. Netflix is looking at the entertainment ecosystem. Hence it is considering not only the viewers, but also the filmmakers when they create their vision, their big board vision. As an example, the vision for Netflix is becoming the best global entertainment distribution service, licensing entertainment content around the world, creating markets that are accessible to filmmakers. Now, that's a big, all-encompassing vision that comprises of the various players in the ecosystem and how Netflix plans to address all these different components as a part of their vision. And when you create that vision, you have to start with a big board end in mind. And actually, no vision cannot, no vision can be achieved or accomplished without people. Will people join you in your vision? Will they come work with you or work for you? Only if they feel energized, and motivated, not just on day one when they start, but every time they come along the way to the achievement of this vision. Um, Keep in mind, you don't have to wait for five or 10 or 15 years to say my vision has been achieved. Great leaders always know how to get people first excited about the big picture, the big vision, but they are also excellent people who actually know how to break this big vision down into small bites. You can accomplish something big, but you have to always translate that into what what do the small bites mean? And then they're also good at understanding who are the people who could own those small bites for the vision to come true. When people own the vision or the part of it, they actually feel very energized and empowered. And in that case, you don't have to necessarily say, the board has this vision or the CEO has this vision, well, you own a part of it. And as a, as their leader, you actually want them to be tied to the vision. This will many times answer the questions that come along, along the lines of strategy or what kind of partnerships that we need to create both within and outside the company. How do we think about funding for local and for international markets? How do we think about expansion from a product perspective? segmentation perspective, or even global perspective, and many more questions, complex questions that can get answered when you actually have the vision right, when you do a great job in breaking it down as to what this means and when, and also have the right people own it over a period of time. Take an example of Walt Disney. His vision was so big and so bold, that even today, it remains relevant. It's, it's his legacy. He actually had envisioned such an amazing place for kids, for adults, for everybody. And even today, Disneyland, when you go to the theme parks that he had imagined decades ago, his vision is still big, bold, and relevant in today's day and age. And it has to take, uh, it, it does take courage. It does take forward thinking approach and it takes a lot of time to invest in what you call is the big vision. However, The rubber meets the road when you actually start to break it down and put the right people and the right strategy to achieve that vision so once again it's super important for every leader to have a big bold vision to begin with now go on to our second skill the second skill is actually starting with the customer having deep customer empathy is critical for all leaders Actually, when you step back and look at the, some of the world's finest companies such as Apple or Amazon, they are known to have products which are really, they are really obsessing with what the customer gets in their hands or experiences. And to arrive at those products, it's impossible without into the shoes of the customers or without actually starting with the customers. So when do you actually get to know about customers? You get to know about customers when you interview them, when you research them when you listen to them, when you learn from them. Some of the uh, Silicon Valley CEOs are known to look at what customer care reports are telling them like 5 a.m. in the morning. That's the first thing they want to get to. They want to learn about what happened in the lives of their customers. That's how obsessed they are because then they bring in that empathy and that power of data and knowledge and bring that into the product development, into technology and infrastructure investments, into increasing the security investments, the security of the company, and so on and so forth. Being grounded with that customer data gives you the mindset that you need to have in order to prioritize your efforts and in order to deliver the best-in-class products and experience two months, two years, and even 10 years out. The real deal is to listen to the customers. When I was at Amazon, we really took the time to speak to the right sample of the customers. When I say the right sample size, what I mean is, oftentimes when we as individuals or leaders want to know about our customers the bias may kick in you will speak to just one or two customers and then you hear what you want to hear what you want to hear and then the bias may kick in so it's always good to have a good sample size that you can step back and look at an interview ask the right questions get the right amount of data and then do a thorough analysis as to what is it that this data is telling you about your customers about their expectations whether it is about an existing product or a new product. Now it, it really is helpful to understand that if you're thinking about an all new product that you don't have in the market, you have to have some unique approaches to be um, going with that customer base, figuring out how do you choose your participants, asking the right questions, getting the right data, And that could be just asking questions, that could be showing them prototypes, that could be using examples from what you've seen work in other countries or other competitors of yours who are offering. And and that not only tells you what their need is now, but it also can really empower you with information on what will be their need 5, 10, 15 years out. And those are the things that actually can also empower your vision further. So you can always go from vision and then go into execution or working with customers. But it's true that the the right kinds of interviews with customers can also further boost your vision or remind you of how powerful your vision is and how you should continue to accelerate in a specific direction so that you can meet your larger vision, your larger goals. When you actually spend time with customers, the best thing is to do it in their environment. So when I was with Intuit, um, there is a program called Follow Me Home that we had And that's where you actually step into the customer's home office or workplace and watch them use QuickBooks Online as an example. Um, And in some cases, we did observe QuickBooks Desktop users. We observed QuickBooks Mobile. We also uh, observed QBO QuickBooks Online users to really understand what were they doing with the product? How could we help them? And we did it across the globe. We did it in India. We did it in Canada. We did it in the U.S. And this was to step back and really identify what are the customers liking? What are they struggling with? And it is in their own environment, which means you get to see them, watch them live in action using your products. And in some cases, if you were lucky, you would get them to also show you how is it that a competitor was doing it differently or even better. And that's a very humbling moment for you as a leader or as a product person, because now you get to see how far your product can go or what are its limitations, which can again um, um, put your... Um, knowledge base, further boost your knowledge base in terms of what are you doing right and what are you missing from a customer expectation. Again, starting with a customer, no matter what life cycle or life stage your product is, is key. Whether it is a new product, it's an existing product, like I talked to you about QuickBooks or something um, that's actually a feature. Even if you're thinking about adding a feature, which as an example, you might say, I want to add multi-currency conversion as a feature that's a huge investment could be a huge investment but really starting with the customer on understanding what are their challenges how will this feature help them will really empower you with the data and with the knowledge that can make your decision making your feature development and ultimately the launch super predictable and something that the customers will value what you also can do is if you do have pictures speak a thousand words as we know if you do have any early prototypes, or if you can throw some sketches in balsamic, that can also get the users to quickly comment. And in many cases, when I've surveyed customers, if I've had a hard time, I've used some online platforms, including SurveyMonkey, to find a customer base that I can then target and interview them with the kinds of questions that I that we have, including but not limited to why and sketches and um, prototypes and what have you. So bear in mind customer obsession and or be, uh, starting with the customer is necessary. It's a very important skill for all, all folks who are interested in um, building products that really are excelling and also having the right mindset to meet your meet. The third skill for great leaders and for great product leaders is being data-driven. What does being data-driven really mean? It means that you take the subjectivity out and replace it with objectivity. The objectivity comes in at the time of product definition. The objectivity comes in at the time of measuring customer satisfaction. The objectivity comes at the time of measuring growth for the product. Each of these are important milestones, both for the company or the corporation and for the products that the corporation provides. Let's step back and take an example of OKRs, objective key results. These are very similar to KPIs or key performance indicators. So some companies, So way back, I was at Intel, and that's where I came across OKRs, Objective Key Results. And later on, OKRs were made more popular by Google and Uber and LinkedIn and other companies who started to use OKRs. So an objective could be growing market share in a given region. Let's say I want to grow market share in Asia. The key result would be 20% growth by the end of 2023. That's an example. Very specific. So there is an objective and there is a key result mapped to it objective key results are very similar like i said to kpis or key performance indicators so companies such as microsoft use kpis and companies such as amazon they call it success measures they are the same thing what they all mean is if you are in engineering you will have engineering related okrs if you are in product you will have product related okrs if you are in operations you'll have ops related okrs if you're in security Your OKRs are security related. However, when you look at the company level, their OKRs can be very high level. As an example, what was the revenue? What's the margin? What's the revenue growth rate? um, What's been the EBITDA and things along those lines? Those are some very high level financials. Those can be found in your your annual and in your quarterly results um, filings that the public companies are required to do and even the startups and the smaller companies are required to present those data points to their shareholders and to their investors or to the um, angel investors what have you so something to think about is you always have the high level OKR and that trickles it down that further trickles down to the lower level such as product level OKR so let's take take some examples of uh, product level OKRs so one example could be the number of users when you launch this product Did you have um, 10,000 users? What's the goal? Let's say I'm going to grow my product user base. I'm going to make it 2x in the next quarter. So it's going to go from 10,000 to 20,000 by the end of March 2023, as an example. When you think about those examples, one aspect is product growth. The other aspect a great product leader would always look for is NPS, Net Promoter Score. So companies such as Starbucks, Netflix, they're extremely Um, focused on what is their NPS. The NPS really tells you, gives you the true pulse of what the customers are thinking and feeling about the product. And great product leaders, great CEOs, they always want to go out there and find out what's my NPS for my product or for my service and what do I learn from it? And how do I take it higher and higher each time, continue to become a benchmark in my own industry as an example. And there are several ways to conduct NPS surveys and Qualtrics is one of the platforms that a lot of companies use as an example to gather and then put together um, charts and graphs that can help you consume the NPS data and the corresponding comments much more easily. End of the day, great product leaders know what comments to take, um, aka detractors. So NPS has the promoters, people who loved it and what they've said, people who are detractors, people who did not like the product and why. Good product managers will suss out what the promoters are saying, what are the detractors missing from the product, and they'll figure out how to bring that back into either a feature development or a roadmap. So those are some important things that you do from a product NPS or satisfaction perspective. Some of the other things that products look at, as an example, at Facebook, they would look at daily active use, DAU, or monthly active use, MAU, because that tells you how engaged users are. If users start to feel worried about the platform, they'll abandon and therefore, your user base or active users will go down. Active usage may go down. But then again, when they start to come back around their birthday or some event, they'll again come back to the platform because their friends are greeting them on Facebook. So you'll see the users more active around their birthdays or around a holiday or around Christmas. So those companies really want to track what is their ongoing DAU, daily active use or MAU. And they want to constantly report that to the Wall Street and to the investors because they want to drive confidence in how well their product is being used. How well is their platform being used? Is being used? So whether it is Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp, once Facebook has the high-level OKRs defined or KPIs defined, they always know. No matter what product, I'm going to look at it from the same lens, from that same OKR. I'm going to care about NPS. I'm going to care about DAU, MAU. I'm going to care about user base. I'm going to care about retention. What what have you? So those OKRs, for the most part, map to the high-level OKRs of the company, which is which is revenue, which is growth, which is EBITDA. If you don't have enough user engagement, you're not gonna get enough ad revenue, and that is directly tied to the EBITDA, to the revenue and to the EBITDA. If you have great user engagement, you generate great ads revenue, now that's gonna take your revenue on your EBITDA higher. So those are, those are examples of how your product OKRs are tied, are tied to the high-level company financials or company OKRs that, that even the CFO would care about. Um, the public company CEOs often show up on, um, on CNBC and, and on their own um, websites to talk about shareholder reports. So if you look deeper, they, they are reporting at a division level what's going on in the company. And many times you will see the mention of products, the mention of technology-centric OKRs, the investments that they're making, the growth that they're projecting. The projection of growth is also called forward-looking guidance that they provide. So that's how much emphasis goes at the strategic and leadership level for OKRs. But when it comes to the product leaders, say your SVP of product or your president, those folks take those guidance numbers to their divisions and say, what do do we need to do in our product or in our business in order to get to those growth rates or even exceed what our leaders have provided as guidance and work from there. And hence, it's important for you as a product leader, as a leader to be extremely focused on the key metrics. Again, OKRs or the metrics that you focus on, they don't have to be 10. Just pick the top three and double down on how will you change or improve those matrices during a given month or a quarter or a year. And it's never a good idea to review these once a year. It's best if you reviewed them weekly or monthly and see how you're doing on a quarterly basis because the trend lines early on start to show you how you're doing as a product, as a business, and how your customers um, or your partners and shareholders feeling about your product line. Um, When I say partners, some of the platforms rely on your partners to be using those set sort of APIs or their platform so when you see those um, API calls growing if you see the requests coming in from partners or from the integrators increasing that's another way to say okay this is my increase um, in the product usage or in the platform usage and I'm seeing this kind of a trend so great product leaders to summarize are also folks who have some great skills to become CEOs in the future so so always remember that you have to have a big, bold vision, learn and remember to start with the customer. And lastly, bring the data to the table, whether it is making a decision for a new product or trying to make a decision for prioritizing your investments for a given quarter or month. Start and lead with data. Thank you again for joining me. This is Mahesh M. Thakur joining you live from San Francisco. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.